Welcome to the Eco Interviews, where we're amplifying the voices of eco warriors from across the world and sharing stories of change. I'm your host, Fiona Martin. This week, we're interviewing Mel Smith. All right, Mel, uh, welcome to the Eco Interviews. I'm super excited to speak to you. Um, Mel Smith is uh, an activist in Somerset in England. Mel and I actually know each other from way back when. We were both um, Erasmus students in Las Palmas de Gran Canaria back in 2002, 2003. And so I've been watching her from afar on social media and she is a um, climate activist over in the UK and I'm just super impressed with what she's been doing. So I'm very excited to have her with us today. So thanks for joining us, Mel. Oh, thanks, Fiona. It's great to connect with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from across the pond. So a yeah. little intro to what, Me what Mel's been up to. Um, Mel is a wife and she has two children and um, she studied at the University of Sussex for a BA in so social anthropology and Spanish. And after that, she worked for an NGO supporting victims of racial harassment and violence and race equality and mental health and um, public health specializing in health inequalities in education. Um, she first became interested in the environmental and sustainability aspect of life in October 2018 following the release of the IPCC report. And um, she felt compelled to action. And a lot of the great work she's been doing is um, by starting a Facebook group called the Taunton Green Parents. And that group has over 800 members now. And it's super active and I see advocacy. I see um, politicians reaching out to you to try and get your support. I see media interviews, uh, marches, so lots and lots of stuff going on. But to get started, Mel, how about, well, first of all, I'm just going to say superhero because I don't know how you do all of this. <laughs> you know, mother, wife, activist, working, also studying for her MSc in sustainable development and practice at the University of the West of England. So she's juggling a lot of things and yeah, certainly I, working I, I, hard. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, superheroes. So to get started, can you tell us about um, sort of this like eco awakening maybe that you had after the IPCC report came out in yeah, October so 2018? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I wasn't, um, just over a year ago, I wasn't actually particularly engaged in environmental issues. Um, interestingly, as, as a young child, I, I was, and I remember reading about climate change then and feeling really passionate about it. And when I was seven, I decided to become vegetarian for environmental reasons after reading about deforestation in Amazon and McDonald's. So perhaps there was always a seed there, but I hadn't really explored it. I'd become much more interested in sort of social justice issues, um, human rights, um, you know, working around race equality and those sorts of issues. But I hadn't really made the wider connection with environmental issues. And now I can see that actually the two kind of sit very closely together. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I was on maternity leave um, and my daughter Florence um, was horrendous at sleeping. So I was up a lot in the night and often on my phone, which is always a really bad idea in the night anyway, breastfeeding and <laughs> trying to keep myself awake and entertained. And I came across, um, uh, it was just a BBC article actually um, around the IPCC report. And I, show, and, I, and I read that and that was the first time it really hit home to me, actually how critical the situation was. So obviously I, I'd heard about climate change and I had some friends at universities who, who were engaged with sustainability, but I myself had not really fully engaged with it. And I think, um, you know, that was the first time that the penny really dropped actually, you know, this is really going to affect like us in like this lifetime and also my children. 
And I think, you know, being a mother, um, you know, I always you ha I have this very strong urge to protect my children. And it's kind of coming to terms with the fact that actually, you know, I can't fully protect them. Um, and, you know, the report was saying <clears throat> that we really have like this next decade is really, really critical. So if we were going to stay within a 1.5 um, degree um, of warming, we'd have to cut our emissions by 50% by 2030. So that would be 7% um, emissions cut year on year against the backdrop of the fact that actually um, emissions are still continuing to rise. Um, so, so what the IPCC report was saying that we need kind of radical and far reaching um, change in order to um, to meet any of these targets and have any hope of staying within a 1.5 um, degree limit so and I you know and actually then I also opened my eyes to a lot of the weird weather that we'd been having um, so we had like snow in March in our spring and um, we had a boiling um, couple of summers which was you know had its benefits around having lots of barbecues but actually we were in a drought and you know that's not normal for the UK as you as you well know um, so it was those things that really triggered me to think okay I need to educate myself more about this and then and work out what my contribution can be and initially it was very much about um, quite naively really just thinking about my own personal um, behavior and and you know what switches I can make in my own life to reduce my, my carbon footprint and it kind of spiraled from there really. Nice. And um, I think that's very similar. I imagine, especially having children and seeing that report, just as you mentioned, that this, this is going to impact not only us, but I mean, we, we're in our, um, I'm going to say mid thirties. Um, <laughs> some of us are in our late thirties on the edge. Um, but you know, you have children who are, you know, you want to live full uh, lives up until their eighties or their nineties. Right. So you're looking much further into the future. Even yeah, I mean, that's always on. what we've learned. It's almost what we've come to expect that that's the norm. Um, and you know, after I read the IPCC report, I went to see, um, a climate change talk by a scientist from Bristol university. And, you know, she really set out um that you know we're on the pathway for a three to four degree rise and actually what that would look like and for me that was deeply shocking when she actually said um actually a lot of the planet wouldn't be habitable at a four degree rise by the end of the century that really made me think look this is my children want to have children you know what are we leaving them mm -hmm. um that is on you know, a worst case scenario trajectory um or maybe medium term but um yeah, so it was just a good wake-up call, I think. And um, I, I don't think I'm the only person that's gone through this process recently. Right. And um, did you experience, um, like, anxiety around that? Like, you know, there's this term now out there called eco-anxiety because there seems to be much, like, a global awakening that's happening. Well, let's just say in the Western world, right? Um, we just had... Greta Thunberg was just named person of the year on time. So we have this very, um, very global scale um, messenger of what scientists have been saying for decades. But I know um, through my own sort of awakening and my husband's and that there was anxiety involved in that. Did you experience that? And how do you address that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, I think it's something which um, is ongoing for me. So I definitely, it felt like a massive shock to start with this information um, which I guess it shouldn't have been because you know we've known about climate change for a long time but I really hadn't made that connection um, and we yeah, have a lot of grief a lot of grief because it's really important that we reconnect ourselves with nature and um, that's a vital part of actually how we overcome some of these issues if we don't feel an attachment to nature then we, we're not in a position to actually try and work better with the planet and, and to be connected to it 
but once you've developed that connection it also means it opens you up to um yeah a lot of um a lot of emotion and a lot of loss because what we're seeing is the loss of the natural world we're seeing like one million species at risk of extinction and an uncertain future and grief for the future that I imagine for my children. Obviously, we don't know what that future is going to be. It's not set in stone. We know that there's lots in emissions, so it's definitely going to get worse. But how worse will depend on what action is taken now. Um, so it's not that I don't believe we have a predetermined destiny of it. You know, it's not helpful to think that way. Actually, we need to think more positively about what solutions we can bring forward and work towards those. Um, but but yeah, definitely, it's a level of uncertainty that we have to sit with and. You know, it, it definitely fits into the stages of grief as well, I think, although the issue is this is slightly different because it's an ongoing grief. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. something, and once you start engaging with it, it's easy to get really overwhelmed by every time I look at my phone, there's like news reports about something terrible that's happening somewhere around the world, like burnt koalas in Australia or yeah. reindeer if you don't have enough food in, in the Antarctic or the, the melting ice sheets and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I think it's really, it's really once you open yourself up to it, then it's natural. Uh, I don't think it's, a men I don't think eco-anxiety is a mental health condition per se, but I think it's a natural reaction um, to some information which is really difficult to, to process. Um, mm -hmm. But it's also really important that we, as I said, that we feel a bit of that anxiety because that anxiety can also lead to action. So we need to stay in a space that we um, acknowledge those feelings but actually also use that to motivate us into action. If we sit in that despair, give up hope, um, there's no point, it's too late kind of headspace, then actually we're not, we're not ever going to find a way out of the situation. So um, yeah, the best thing you asked about kind of solutions and I think um, yeah, definitely action with boundaries is helpful. I'm not very good at boundaries. I'm particularly terrible at social media boundaries. Um, but you need to still do, do things with your family, do things you enjoy. And I think with the activism, you also have to find something which you enjoy because if it's a chore, um, then it's not sustainable and it, it doesn't help the situation. And there's so many different ways that people can contribute. So you find something which you really love um, and work with others. Um, and, and also, I, I really... I've been kind of doing a lot of reading around it and I really strongly feel like we need to hold some of those really positive um, visions for the future without being naive and um, with, you know, acknowledging the scale of the crisis that we're facing and understanding the science, um, but actually looking at some of those more inspirational narratives, because if we just focus on Zoom, then that's not, it's not really good for anyone. So it's not like our, in our current situation, everything's perfect. We have a lot of problems in our societies, a lot of inequality. Um, people work crazy hours. People are sometimes working three jobs to um, have a roof over their children's head. There's a lot of child poverty. You know, we don't live in a perfect society, um, but you know, there is potential if we can rebuild our societies to actually create something much better where we have more time to spend with our families. And um, yeah, we have a better relationship with nature. And all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, rather than just sort of, it's not just daydreaming, it has to be based on things that could actually happen. But we do need to hold those positive visions as well um, to stay mm -hmm. sane ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think with the eco anxiety, yeah, with the eco anxiety, you do find people who, uh, who do wallow in the doom and gloom. 
Um, they like to call this sort of positive stuff hopium. I don't know if you've come across that. <laughs> and I understand that, but at least for me, like I feel like I've been through what the great grief. I looked that up. That is a thing. Whereas that grieving for um, the reality of what is going on with our greatest habitat and it might not be habitable. But um, for me, and it sounds like for you, action it was a positive way through that. So um, was creating Taunt and Green Parents group that part of your action? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, initially it was because I actually wanted information myself. So it was like, how do I switch to reusable nappies? Mm -hmm. And I realized that there was no local information about that. So I thought I'll set up my own group and just invite some of my friends. But I had it as an open group um, to get those answers. And so I could find out more about how I could make some behavior changes myself. Um, but then what happened is it just snowballed really fast. And, you know, it suddenly got really, really big and became more than that. Um, but yeah, no, so definitely I think action is really helpful. But sometimes it can also lead to overexposure. Mm -hmm. that's what I found so I feel like sometimes I'm quite weighed down with you know especially with the studying as well and like being exposed to lots of um yeah lots of awful things that are happening around the world and you know it's difficult to you know to link that um yeah to cope with that sometimes as well yeah I think um I've certainly looked at information about uh supporting um activists and advocates and that is it's very interesting as I have my advocacy journey um, with the environmental stuff, but also I'm a sort of vice corn pedestrian advocate as well. And it's important for advocates to take care of themselves and have the support. There's like no way to do it on your own. And um, it's good that those resources are out there. And finding support like you have in the Taunton Green Parents Group and having it snowball like that. I mean, you guys are almost at 850 people, which is amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm privileged enough to be allowed in the group, even though I don't live there and I'm not a mom. <laughs> but um, the conversations are great. Like that's something I think um, is tough in our society. We're very... Um, we're very segregated and at least in the States, you know, we get in our cars and we go to work and then we come home and we just don't talk to anyone. And I find myself craving the experience of just talking with people, listening to people, yeah. which is a big reason I'm doing this is to try and talk to people. Um, and I guess that with, yeah, it's like our generation, we do it with like social media. Um, but in terms of like that momentum you experienced with the Taunton, Taunton Green Parents, group can you talk a little bit about that um you started with like you said trying to find more sustainable products especially for parents um but it's it's turned into something different now there's you know yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's more than that which is you know it needs to be so um yeah so initially i kind of set up with with a friend that i did um antenatal classes with who i knew also shared similar anxieties to me around um you know the environment and then i met um someone else at the climate change talk who just done a master's in climate change policy at Bristol University and then um, we also recruited Mark who um, has a lot of knowledge around kind of politics and um, and also works in sort of um, the digital sector so he has a lot of those skills so between us we had like a really good kind of skills base um, so initially one of the first things we did last year was arrange a meeting with our um, MP um, around all about you know our concerns around um, the environment and you know we did a face-to-face -face meeting with her um, she's definitely sort of acknowledged you know she knows who we are she knows, she knows what we want uh, and interestingly in a lot of the the election stuff you know 
our names have been mentioned so clearly we have had some impact although that would always be limited um, yeah, and I would also mention so social Green isn't um, affiliated to any particular political party, although, you know, obviously I may express my own political opinions during the interview today. Um, but, you know, I think it can only go so far with, um, you know, if she's conservative, that she has been an advocate in some ways for the environment, but there's, there's huge limitations on, on what, she, what she's done. So we knew that that route would only go so far. Um, but she did come forward and support our request for two... Um, climate emergency um, support letters. So I don't know if you've had the same so much in the States, but in the UK, loads of local authorities have declared climate emergencies and, and announced that they will become um, carbon neutral by 2030. Okay. It's a public meeting that people can go and speak at. So um, I went and, and spoke um, there in front of all the councillors and our MP had written a letter um, in support of the climate emergency declaration. So that was some sort of positive outcome from the advocacy. Um, <clears throat> so in addition to that lobbying, we also, we linked up with Mothers Rise Up, which is, um, it started in London with a group of, um, you know, mothers, um, much like myself, who, who kind of woke up to the climate crisis and wanted um, to act. And um, they organised like a quite high profile um, march in, in um, London on International Mother's Day. And we organised um, a similar event in Taunton. And yeah, we probably had about like a hundreds of people there. It was a really good turnout. Um, and the idea was really to have kind of family friendly activism. So we had a big meet up in the park afterwards and everyone bought a picnic and we had different activities for the kids. And it was a really kind of positive um, event. Uh, and we also linked up with them. They had a, a banner relay um, going across the UK, which was a banner which said, for the love of our children, act now. And it was touring um, different kind of groups across the UK. So we, so we did um, a process with um, that as well, just with a small group of people. Um, yeah, and in, yeah, coming back to the eco-anxiety point, we recognised that this was like, increasingly an issue for people. Um, so we actually did like a short support group over six weeks um, last spring. Um, with two psychologists from the Climate Psychology Alliance who volunteered their time for free to kind of do a series of workshops with us, kind of looking at, you know, start, starting with looking at kind of what is the crisis and looking at resilience and grief and then kind of how we move into action as well. So um, we had that support group um, and we've also um, done different kind of events with stalls, just engaging with people um, around sustainability. Um, we've done some kind of planting days with our nature reserve just in, in the village where I live so involving children in like planting wildflower seeds and um, hedges um, and yeah as, as you already mentioned kind of quite a lot of media work as well so um, it just kind of yeah snowballed really so we had did various radio interviews and been in, we're in the wildlife trust magazine and um, and kind of in October this year we met with our local paper Mm -hmm. um, and kind of suggested that maybe given the increased interest and momentum around environmental issues that maybe they'd like um, to have an environment page or I think they suggested that idea actually so we just said we were talking about how we could work more closely together and mm -hmm. the editor like said he was really happy to have an environment page and it was something that he'd been thinking about for a while um, so I coordinate the column there's a green focus column every week um, and I've got like a database of all the different environmental groups in Taunton and we kind of rotate it and decide who's going to 
do which articles every week so that's also really good for networking um, that's, yeah that's awesome like um it's it's really great that your local paper is open to that so i'm um, talking about that local media specifically getting that i mean weekly environmental page is great i'm trying to work with local media here on like cycling and pedestrian advocacy and uh like <laughs> i don't know if there's a positive thing to say about it so i'm super impressed that your area was very open to this so can you talk about maybe um what has been the so let's see um the newspaper editor editor sounds like he was driven a little bit he had some motivation and then obviously your group has that motivation that came together so what is the public awareness around where you live and that sort of public reception to these environmental issues i'm sure you get positive and then i'm sure you get negative so how does that work well i think generally like you know globally as, as you know like things are starting to shift a bit and people are much more aware and engaged with these issues and I don't think um, where I live is any exception. Um, so I would say traditionally, like Taunton isn't a particularly physically active um, place. Like there, there were some environmental groups that have been working for years, like working so hard and I have a lot of respect for them working in such a difficult environment when no one was really engaging with the issue. Um, but it has really like hugely taken off recently. So. Um, a large extinction rebellion group as well. Um, we've had the climate strikes here, so we had about 3,000 um, people marching um, on the climate strikes, which is quite unprecedented. Wow. It was really moving to be part of. So I, I feel like loads more people are engaging, and generally there's a lot of support and a lot of um, interest um, and sympathy and goodwill to um, you know to work towards change. Um, so just like last week, we had. Two different environmental events happening in Taunton on the same night. One was a talk by Rob Hopkins, who um, founded the transition movement. Another was a political hustling um, for the um, potential uh, parliamentary candidates. Like both the venues were like um, pretty full, so I think that's wow. like a good sign that there is a lot of interest and things have shifted a lot just in the last year. Obviously, there's also a lot of people um, that either have no awareness um, about the situation or who are openly hostile. Um, so our environment page is only in print, as far as I'm aware, I haven't seen it online because it tends to be, so I haven't had, you know, huge amounts of feedback um, regarding that particular page, although people I've spoken to, um, you know, said that they, they think it's really, um, you know, really great, <laughs> but obviously they're probably people that I, that I knew. Um, but online, so when we had um, the, the various protests and the Extinction Rebellion um, protests, there was lots of kind of people trolling um, on social media. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there would always be the comments, um, yeah, particularly if you're like a parent, I've seen comments of people saying like, you know, the best thing to do is not have children and um, uh, all the parents drive their kids to school and, you know, so people, it always comes back to those individual lifestyle um, choices, they're criticising, I bet the young people have mobile phones, like why are they protesting, yeah, you know, all those sorts of things, it's a really unconstructive Definitely. Um, so you're always going to have some of that, yeah. um, but overall I'd say um, that, yeah, people, like loads will be particularly, you know, just people that I come across who I'm not, who are my peers, but I'm not friends with, people are really engaging in kind of sustainability as a whole, so I think Definitely things have changed, but there's still a long way to go. Certainly. Um, and I'm glad to, I mean, it sounds mostly positive. There's always going to be the trolls no matter what, but I'm, yeah. I'm interested, especially um, about 
Well, today is election day in the UK, so we cannot go by without speaking about UK politics. And um, while there's an awakening in the US, unfortunately, our environmental crisis has been co-opted by political parties, which I think part of it was, um, you know, the inconvenient truth by Al Gore and Al Gore being a Democratic presidential candidate and the former vice president. It has, it has somehow muddied the waters in the US that one side believes in climate change and other side doesn't. Now, I think there is some change. There are, um, there's, I know of a young Republicans group that's coming out and saying like, no, climate change is what it is. This, this shouldn't be on party lines. So with the UK having its election today, what, how are the parties falling? Are they all saying, yeah, this is an issue? Um, is someone bringing it to the forefront? Uh, what's, what's going on with that? <laughs> Yeah, so that's an interesting question. So what I would say is that more than any other election, um, climate change and the environment have featured in all of the manifestos and they have been talked about quite widely. Um, so a lot of the question time and hustings, um, a lot of them are focused on the environment and, and climate change. Um, and there's some, um, there are some stronger policies. So Labour, Obviously, the Green Party would have one of the strongest environmental um, policies, as you would expect, also looking at social inequality. Um, so, like, Labour also have, um, uh, you know, a strong kind of decarbonisation targets and, um, yeah, huge investment in green infrastructure and so on, and um, as do the Lib Dems, and their, their dates for carbon neutrality kind of vary um, mm -hmm. in relation to ambition. So, I think the Lib Dems is 2045. The Conservatives um, have included it in their manifesto, but in the comparisons that I've seen, it, it is weaker than some of the other parties. And um, but but they equally there is kind of there is there are plans for um, kind of environmental policies post Brexit as well. And I have you know, heard from conservationists and environmentalists that there has been a bit of a shift. So they'll be looking, um, you know, actually at kind of the restoration of um, nature rather than just kind of protecting what we have left of nature so, so even with the conservative party that would be kind of the most um kind of reactionary and the least progressive like there, there has been some progress but it's probably most people would argue it's not going far enough mm -hmm. so i think it's definitely been viewed as um uh an issue that's going to um be on a lot of voters minds and there's been a lot of coverage around it so that in itself is a big shift from where we've been in previous elections so a lot of the major parties before it hasn't been one of their key um issues and the trouble is we have like brexit obscuring um everything as well yes so, brexit brexit anxiety is felt <laughs> even over here yeah. i don't even know what it means but i mean i do know what it means but at the same time nobody knows what it means right <laughs> well we don't know what it means either and i think it's, it's taking up so much time that actually it means that a politician can't focus on the most important issues that you know that there are as well so so yeah i mean um i have my own preferences about which parties i feel are going to actually drive forward those more radical policies that we need and you know underpinning all of this is the issue that actually is difficult to address you know by political parties around the fact that actually the problem is economic growth and the impact that has on the environment and actually which parties are going to stand up there and um, say that they they don't support economic growth so the trouble is that a lot of um, yeah a lot of the policies and a lot of the driver for the government is around our economy and actually that's it can't be the ongoing focus because 
it's not possible to continually grow our economy right. within on a planet with finite resources and and ultimately it will damage the economy because we can't continue you know the more environmental degradation there is the, the larger impact that will have on the economy so we have to feel we have to find a better sort of balance yeah it, eternal growth is not possible yet our economies have all been set up under that premise that it will be and and yeah there needs to be a lot of, i mean everything needs to shift what the answer is yeah. to that i have no idea but i'm also not an elected official but um certainly i think we all need to look at what our candidates are proposing and use our vote in the best way possible and hope that you know that's going to change things because uh, as you mentioned i think the first reaction is this sort of what can i do as an individual and sure like i can reduce my emissions and i can use um you know reusable items instead of disposable items but that is a tiny tiny grain of sand in a huge yeah. desert of what needs to be done so we have to get the movers and shakers to actually move and shake things up um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, you said you were involved in the Divest Parliament campaign. Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, so this um, this is a campaign outside of Toronto Green Fair, a national campaign by an NGO um, called 360.org, and it is to encourage um, Parliament to divest their pension funds from fossil fuel companies. Okay. Um, and um, the campaign was via lobbying to get pledges from each of the different MPs, um, you know, across cross-party pledges um, to um, encourage um, the, the kind of board which managed the pensions to completely divest. Um, and it was partly, you know, financial, so um, you know, to remove that money from the fossil fuel companies, um, but also a lot of it around um, actually kind of for engaging MPs in these issues, but also around discrediting the fossil fuel industry. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we got over, I was only a very small part of the campaign, but there were over 300 um, pledges from cross-party MPs. There was due to be a meeting in November where they would decide whether, you know, what the ongoing strategy was around um, the climate strategy, which would include investment because the general election, I think everything's been put on hold. Yeah. We're still waiting to hear the outcome. But that was really inspiring to be um, a very small part of a campaign. So I just secured a few pledges from local MPs in different areas um, and helped with the networking. So linking um, the kind of national campaign up with people in the Southwest that could then lobby their MPs to, to um, obtain the pledges. Mm -hmm. But they, um, yeah, so the, the campaign team, um, it was trending for, for one day on Twitter, um, hashtag Divest Parliament. So it's interesting to see how those campaigns work and it's definitely built a lot of momentum and they got a lot of, um, of national media coverage as well and support because the divestment movement internationally is really huge mm -hmm. and it started in the states at the universities uh, mm -hmm. and sort of potential billions of you know dollars have been divested from fossil fuel companies yeah that's amazing another, yeah another another way that um yeah we can try and bring about change really yeah, I, I definitely, um, I do subscribe to 360.org. I need to read more of their newsletters, but um, the Divest Parliament campaign is super interesting. In the States, I think on our end, we still supply subsidies to fossil fuels. So I'm sure that, um, you know, a big part of that is trying to stop subsidizing fossil fuel companies. I don't know if that will ever happen. Fingers crossed. I don't know. And the Green New Deal should be taking care of that if that ever comes into play. So. <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting. So I had um, yesterday, I don't know if you've been following the COP25 negotiations in Madrid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so yesterday they announced so the EU is trying to 
um, yeah, trying to push for um, a Green New Deal. Um, yes. There's still some resistance among some of the some members, um, but they're hoping that will be kind of more of a leverage to encourage other countries to increase their pledges. So I think that's a good. So you know, that's not it's not enough. Like even if they do agree that it's nothing is ever enough in the situation, but mm -hmm. I do think it is important to recognise that like the ground is starting to shift a little bit. Even like a few months ago, that wouldn't have been on the table. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that it goes show that um yeah all of the protests all of the, the media coverage has started like we're on the upward curve of like you know it becoming more mainstream and you know things starting to change even though there's a really long way to go um, mm -hmm. so i think that's a, that's a positive i think it's easy just to feel like totally overwhelmed by the situation and the fact that nothing's ever going to change but actually you know these things weren't being talked about like a year ago and um, even when I first went to that climate change talk last October, I almost felt like this was kind of some like secret information that I'd had that you know the world could end in our children's lifetime. Um, actually, that has people are talking about it in the mainstream, and that has also helped relieve some of the pressure. I think with the fact that like it's a shared issue um, across everybody in the world, and that the more people that know about it, the more likely we are to be able to address some of those issues. Yeah, like I totally agree with you. We we definitely weren't having these conversations a year ago. I know um, in, in my household, at least my brother-in-law has been up on this stuff for at least a decade. And in turn, you know, my husband has been reading up for the past six years. And so I've been hearing about it, but we certainly almost felt like, well, I did feel like I couldn't talk about any of this stuff. Like, you know, having a normal conversation and be like, oh, by the way, we're destroying the planet. We're all going to die. Um, it's not really something you can talk about. So having it in the mainstream is, is massive. And it has happened in the last 12 months. I think we do need to acknowledge that and the momentum and keep it going because like you said, you can get into the doldrums and be upset about it. But I mean, we put ourselves in this position. It's our responsibility to try and get ourselves out of it as much as possible. Oh, so absolutely. it's a big change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's interesting. I think, you know, actually also it's given me a lot of compassion for those people that have been like activists for the last 30 years. Yeah. For, yes. 100%. How do you manage to stay sane in that setting? Um, you know, so, so I, you know, I feel like actually a bit of guilt that I haven't really, that hasn't been on my radar before. And I think that's also guilt is another, coming back to like the emotions around it. I think like that's another difficult thing when you start talking about this, because we're all complicit in this system. Um, I'm not like perfect in my private life. And um, ultimately, like every aspect of our society is underpinned by fossil fuels. So the financial mm -hmm. sector, our economy, our food, <laughs> our transport. Um, everything you know even our phones like everything has an environmental impact and i think um there is also like a balance between um being aware of your actions um and it becoming something that can just make you feel incredibly stressed because actually um it's, it's really hard to live a perfect zero carbon lifestyle it's pretty much impossible yeah it is impossible i mean you need the environment to change the infrastructure to change so it's much easier to do that and that's the normal natural thing to do yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I, I, I have had backlash from people say, like, unless you don't heat your home and you don't drive a car and you don't use a phone, I don't want to listen to you. And I think that's a really, um, it's not, I, I feel like that's an ignorant view and ignorant in the sense that you're ignoring the actual facts of the situation of like, our society is built around this. You cannot unplug from society. I legally 
can't unhook my house from electricity. Like there are laws and nor would I want to. And it's not an, it's not about going back to mud huts. It's about, you know, if we are this smart, if we put people on the moon, we should be able to figure out what we can do to do better. We're always trying to do better. Right. It's uh, it's, and that's why we need to talk and figure this stuff out. Right. So. I totally agree. Yeah. It's about finding a way to do that. Um, yeah. yeah none of it's simple i've realized over the last year it's all really complex and there's all different layers to it as well mm -hmm. and you kind of find your way through it really yeah so another thing that you've taken on on top of everything else that you're doing is you're studying for the msc in sustainable development and practice at the university of the west of england so tell me what that's about and what you're learning what are you coming out of with that yeah so i started in september and i think it was after i um, done kind of almost well, a year of the school to be parents and working in a voluntary capacity in um, around sustainability I just thought actually this is something that I'm really interested in and I'd like to take further and maybe look at how I can incorporate that you know in a career but also to actually really understand the theory behind it and um, uh, yes yeah, so it's a brilliant course it's really practice based so we have lots of um, people from different professions we've had like lawyers that are working on global biodiversity agreements a lot of our lecturers have worked um, on kind of UN projects and we have people from like local businesses that come in and talk to us um, so it kind of it fits all the different levels of sustainability um, the first module I did was in sort of sustainable development um, theory and practice and now I'm doing a module on sustainable organisations. So a lot of that is about um, like the economies and critiquing different models like the green economy, um, you know, looking at whether market forces can um, make changes that we need and then looking at more radical approaches, which is kind of the way that we need to be moving in the future really if we're going to find a solution, um, you know, which um you know really supports nature and protects biodiversity and you know because ultimately what i've learned from the course is um that actually what's really needed is in addition to all of the you know greening of technology and energy systems and all that sort of thing is like a change in values um so we need to move from like an individualistic consumer-based culture to one where we can cooperate better um where we have less inequality um, where we can kind of use resources better, but where kind of wealth is shared. Um, so that's, that, and that's really difficult to like, how do we make that happen? So a lot of it is looking at like, you know, how, how these more radical transformations could, could take place. Um, but I guess it's also made me realize like how interconnected everything is. So um, yeah, looking at one of, the, one of the top solutions for climate change is around gender, um, equality and educating women because we need to stabilize the population and um, reduce birth rates in, in the global south where um, there's so much poverty and lack of opportunity and actually like the best thing we can do as soon as um, we start to sort of improve people's economic um, well-being and their opportunities actually then see a drop in, in birth rate so you know, that's one of the best solutions so we can't just take climate action and look at that in isolation we mm -hmm. have to look at the whole picture we have to yeah. look at nature, we have to look at biodiversity, um, equalities, like all of those issues, like reducing poverty, um, all of those issues are interconnected, so we have to look at kind of solutions which encompass all of those areas. Ah, so interesting. Like everything is interconnected. And then with your, um, with your um, previous job experience being in 
reducing inequality and mental health and you know um, marginalized populations you must feel like this is all coming together for you do you feel like that's starting I to come do, together? actually i hadn't seen it um as a whole before uh, you know until this year really but um something which i haven't talked about much is obviously that you know we know people in the global south they're like already on the front line of climate change and yes. already suffering greatly um and a lot of those and you know there's a huge amount of environmental injustice and human rights issues and and in, you know in terms of i was also really interested in indigenous rights at um university you know we've got so much we could learn from indigenous communities um but they're also on the front line of climate change and and environmental destruction as well and although it will affect all of us and it is affecting all of us in countries where there's less infrastructure you know the impacts are much greater so mm -hmm. um yeah it definitely definitely brings everything everything that I've worked on in different parts of my life like together really which is which is yeah awesome. unexpected I haven't planned any of this <laughs> <laughs> no it is it is incredibly interesting I just watched a video yesterday from a National Geographic photographer who was talking exactly about um, learning from indigenous people uh, that we're losing the languages and when you lose the language you lose the knowledge that went with it and you know they're up in the andes in colombia and i'm thinking god i worked in venezuela and i was like there and it's just like it all starts coming together it's incredibly interesting and um you know i love exploring that and i i'm excited for you with your degree that is um that you're going to be learning more and sharing that with people and trying to yeah like you said talking about the economy changing the, this sort of uh, you know forever growth in on a finite resource planet is not possible we need to just like we had a shift from feudalism to capitalism what's going to be the next shift you know it is not set in stone that we need to stay this way no matter how many times people say that we have shifted within human recorded human history many times so you know it feels like we're on the precipice yeah it's not it feels like it, it feels like it's impossible because of the status quo maintaining those power and it's in their interest to try and retain the power and retain things as they are um but actually yeah you're absolutely right if you look throughout history then humans do have amazing um innovative resolve to to work up from down we're constantly um transforming and, and cultures are constantly changing even if you think of the last 20 years um mm -hmm. you know, we're probably last sat on a beach drinking beer together <laughs> not worrying about that. Um, yeah, I don't think we, even, we didn't really have the internet then, do you know what I mean? We, definitely we had internet cafes, man, you know, yeah, like if 50 cents. So, yeah, things, things change quickly, but we don't notice because it's happening, happening kind of underneath us. Yeah, well, I know that we're going to have to let you go so you can pick up your kids, but I wanted to just wrap it up with one final question. Um, if you, what would you, what can an individual do today to reduce their impact on the environment and what advice do you offer people in regards to engaging in environmental action? Yeah, well, I think, as, I think the individual changes are a good sort of starting point. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's lots that we can do. Um, you know, we kind of know what those things are a lot of the time around kind of, you know, thinking about the way that we travel, thinking about what we eat. And it's actually, I'm vegetarian, I have been for a long time. Um, I know it's, there's a lot of debate on that. There's another thing that I've learned is that nothing's really black and white. Right. Know, there's always lots of different issues. So, um, you know, there's different farming methods, um, such as like um, 
agroecology and um, regenerative farming and kind of buying local meats and that sort of thing and you've got the vegan option a lot of it depends on like how you source your food mm -hmm. um, I think it's personal choice <laughs> as well mm -hmm. you know uh, you know and what works for you and, and what you have what foods you have available but we've done stuff like growing our own veggies where we can mm -hmm. which is you know, fun as well stuff to do with the kids planting trees um think about you know actually I think one thing that shifted for me is actually thinking that we constantly have to have like a bigger house and a bigger car we're conditioned mm -hmm. to think that we need more like consume more um and it's actually maybe think you know what actually we've got quite a small house but that's okay yeah <laughs> that really matter it's quite energy efficient um we don't need to constantly be looking to earn more money and spend more money all the time which is kind of how society um yeah we're conditioned to think in those ways aren't we mm -hmm. so i think there's all of those those individual changes we can make we can think about things like flying and um uh yeah all those different options those decisions to make on a personal basis energy saving all that sort of thing but the best thing that we can do really is like engage in some form of activism i think um lobby your um, mp um join your local group in your area whatever that is um and work with others i think that's a lot more powerful than than kind of just making those individual changes mm -hmm. well great i mean mel you're certainly an example i think for uh people who are following you and um is there a way for people to follow you do you have like a public sort of way that you want people to keep in touch anyone from all over the world is very welcome to join children's green parents on facebook okay yeah, awesome so well i'll put a account as well so okay welcome. Like, some of it is kind of local information but a lot of it can be applied to other settings so all right well i'll definitely put a link in the notes for this if people want to join that yeah, and we'll be yeah, following you share my um my email address is absolutely fine as well okay awesome well mel i really appreciate it this is fun and um yeah, let's really nice talking to you i know let's not wait like 15 or 17 years i'm sure there's like so many things that we can talk about and i would certainly want to follow your progress and maybe catch you on here again to talk about uh more about development and economies as you are going down that path and learning about it um i would certainly be interested and i'm i'm sending like good vibes to the uk right now that this election process like settles the dust a little bit it probably won't i don't feel like there's a lot of like settling of the dust anywhere right now um but goodness let's see what happens right do you guys get the results quickly or is it going to take like a week coming in through the night but um friday morning um i won't be staying awake to see boris my phone in the night if i wake up um yeah i'll check in the morning but i want to say like well done for for doing this as well because i think this is a really perfect example of using your skills and your spheres of influence so you know you also have marketing skills and, and this is that you have good contact so use whatever setting you're working in to, to try and make change and um maybe that's a brilliant thing to be doing as well so. oh i appreciate it mel i'm I, you know i've felt compelled to action like you have been so i'm trying to find what that path is and i i very strongly feel that conversations need to happen right and i hope that this is a, a platform to be able to start conversations so i appreciate it well mel thank you it's been great speaking to you and yeah, we'll be you in too. touch have a good day right you too thanks yeah. bye bye, bye.